0: The story is told of a world-famous violinist who hired the services of a renowned violin makers of that day. He asked him to build him the most magnificent violin that he's ever built. So, in its appointed day, and the appropriate time for the violinist to come and pick up his violin, he came to receive his delivery, which he authorized, taking the violin into his hands. The violinist skillfully drew the bow across the strings. But then all of a sudden, great disappointment swept across his face. There was a major problem with the violin. The quality of the tone did not satisfy his artistic ear. And to the surprise of the violin maker, The violinist raised the violin above his head and he smashed it right on the table and it broke into pieces. Then he paid the violin maker the agreed upon amount and then he left. A few months later, the same violinist came by to the violin maker shop and he was looking around, admiring the different violins and Then he noticed there was a violin there sitting on the table by itself. He took that violin again into his hand and he again began to play on it. And all of a sudden, the violinist became excited. He became thrilled with that magnificent tone that he is hearing. Beauty was ravishing in the sound of that violin. When he inquired of the violin maker, the violin maker told him, to the utter surprise and astonishment of the violinist, that this was the very violin that he had smashed to pieces six months earlier. The violin maker had painstakingly gathered that broken violin and he gathered all the pieces together and he put the shattered instrument. Once more together and skillfully assembled it. And he made it into a piece of beauty and brilliance in tone. So much so that it had met the approval of the most exacting and demanding artist's ear. And as I read this and I thought about what I'm going to preach in a series of sermons. I reflected about how many times our sin and our pride and our self-sufficiency... Bring us to brokenness. How many times our perfectionism and the spirit of perfectionism brings us to brokenness? How many times our stubborn ways and our stiff necks had brought us to brokenness in our life? Just like that violin. We get broken too. And brokenness can go either way. And I've seen it both ways. It can either make you better or can make you bitter. It either makes you more stubborn or leads you to genuine repentance. It either humbles us or blinds us further. Brokenness can either restore us or add to our resentment. Brokenness when it is handed to the Redeemer God is not something to resent. Brokenness when it is handed to the Restorer is blessing unexplainable. Brokenness when it is handed to our remolder and remaker is joy unspeakable. Although you may not see it at the time. The shattered pieces of our lives can only be remade better at the master's hand. The shattered pieces of the violin of our effectiveness can only be reassembled and made better at the skillful hand of our maker and remaker. In the last message, we left David in Ziklag. We left him at Ziklag. And I mentioned in my last message that Ziklag is a type of a place of compromise. The place of idolatry. The place of disobedience. It's a place of inquiring of the Lord, if I can make such a word. It is a place where do-it-yourself Christians thrive. It is a place where self-will and self-improvising thrives. It is the place where the scheming and the conniving and the manipulating will find a home. That was Ziklag. And that's where David was as we left him in the last message. And at Ziklag, David hit rock bottom. He began to steal, cheat, lie, kill, and compromise. And here in 1 Samuel 29, David was about to be a traitor to God and to God's people. 1 Samuel 29, he was going to go with the Philistine to fight against his own people. But God so graciously snatched David from the bottomless pit. God so graciously provided a way of escape for David from that terrible hour of temptation. God so graciously ordered the steps of David... God so graciously delivered David from the snare of the fowler. Do you know how many times the Lord delivers you from the snare of the fowler every single day? And you may not be even aware of it. And here, possibly David wrote the following words of Psalm 18:4:5 5 during this time of his life. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Very similar experience to that of S.F., the author of Psalm 73, when he encountered a similar experience. And he was about to just give in and throw in the towel. And, and he said in, in Psalm 73, he said, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. While God delivered David from this dark hour of betrayal, the dark hour of treason, while God delivered him yet, most often, when God is trying to get our attention, He allows the consequences of our own sin, of our own stubbornness, of our own self-will, to work its purposes out, in order that God may graciously wake us up from our stupor. And I believe with all my heart, had David come from that great delivery that God has snatched him out of and got into Ziklag and he found Ziklag to be intact, he probably would have said to himself, boy, that was so close. Thank you, Lord. And he goes to sleep. If he came back and saw Ziklag, nothing happened to it, no trouble at all, he would say, boy, I nearly got into trouble there. And with just a slight remorse, he would have gone to sleep. But he comes to Ziklag and he finds it on fire, is burned to the ground. God uses the consequences of David's sin to wake him up, to make him realize what he's doing. He's about to join the enemies of God. And listen to the syrup and the language that he's saying to King Achish. I wish I had more time that I can expound on that. Oh, I'm a faithful servant. Let me go and fight the Israelites. Can you imagine the man of God? Can you imagine? Please listen to me carefully. Parents who do everything for their children all the time deprives them of a sense of responsibility. Parents who forgive their children without remorse and without repentance on the part of the children will prevent them from learning the consequences of their actions. Churches that refuses to exercise spiritual discipline will end up with an image of grace that is thoroughly unbiblical. And their churches will be nothing but a club for carnal Christians. Christians who refuse to acknowledge their sin and their shortcomings and repent of them and turn to the Lord will never understand the deeper walk with God. This kind of thinking of not taking responsibility for our own actions has been rampant in a society, and even our churches. And therefore, as I look at the church of Jesus Christ today, we seem to have developed a whole generation of Christians who live in the shallow end of the Christian life, who've always stayed at the surface of their spiritual walk. So many preachers have preached cheap grace, a bellhop kind of God, a sugar daddy Christ, and an easy believism. And look what happened. And where we are today, as a church, we need to be like David, broken to our hearts before God and weep not only for our own sin, but the sin of our nation. Look at what happened to David. The man who's after God's own heart. When he compromised and he stopped relying on God. Look what happened to him. And realize the love and the grace of God that is working in you. God did not spare angels. God did not spare his saints. Someone may say, well, oh, but David didn't live in the age of grace. Oh, give me a break. (laughs) Jesus said he did not come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it. He did not come to take away its effect. But he came to show us a more excellent way. We do not have two gods. We do not have two books. We do not have two sets of ethics. And I want to tell those who created a dichotomy between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. I want to ask you this. Do you see God here anywhere ever stopped loving David even when he was in the midst of Ziklag? No. No. Does God ever stop loving you when you get into your own ziklag? No. Because God's love is constant. God's love is unchanging. God's love is persistent and consistent. God's love is enduring. God's love is not dependent upon your failure. Amen belongs here. In fact, it is out of love that God disciplines us. It is out of love that he instructs us. It is out of love that he chastises us. Please hear me right. You cannot get into sexual promiscuity and think that there are no consequences. You cannot become equally yoked with an unbeliever and think that you will not pay a price. Do not think that you can get too chummy with your unbelieving friends without them impacting you. Do not think that you can lower your ethical standards and assume that it will not make no difference. Choices have consequences. You know what? I wish we can write that on every wall of every classroom across the land. God delivered David from this dilemma of fighting with the Philistines against his own people. But Ziklag is going up in smoke. Ziklag is burning. His wives and the wives of his men and the children... The babies, the old, the young, all have been taken into captivity. Hear me right. God uses the consequences of David's sin to get his attention. And here you're going to see David whose heart is broken in two. And it is only in brokenness that God will begin to do his sort of restoration work. Only in brokenness... Can the pieces of God's instrument be restored into the newness of life? And what I'm saying to you is thoroughly biblical. I know you did not get up in the morning and say, I am looking forward to hearing a sermon on brokenness. I'm sure you wanted to come and hear some word of encouragement, but this is the best encouragement I can give you. For it was through the breaking down of Jacob's natural strength at Penel that God put him together again and used him again. It was through the breaking of the rock and Horeb by Moses' rod that water became overflowing. It was when the 300 chosen men under Gideon's leadership broke their pitches, which is a symbol of breaking of themselves, that they had victory over their adversaries. It was when Jesus took the five loaves and broke them and distributed them to more than 5,000 men, women, and children that they were satisfied. It is only when Mary broke her beautiful alabaster box and anointed the feet of Christ that the aroma filled the entire house. It was only when Jesus allowed his precious body to be broken on the cross that redemption poured forth like a stream from which sinners could drink and live forever. God uses brokenness, God restores brokenness. He wants to put it back together again far better than it was before. But you know, The world does not understand this concept of brokenness and humility before God. And I don't anticipate, and we don't expect the world to understand that. Only through spiritual eyes are we able to see it. Because to the world's view, to the world's understanding, brokenness and humility before God is synonymous with being a doormat. It's utter misunderstanding, but but they're not listening. They won't listen. In fact, I just heard not so long ago, about a man who wrote a book called Cower Power. He founded an organization for meek people, (laughs) and the organization named Doormats. It's an acronym for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls, if there are no objections. (laughs) Their motto was this, The meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everyone. (laughs) Their symbol is a yellow traffic light. (laughs) Now I want to tell you, I think this is how the People for the American Way, the National Organization for Women, Planned Parenthood, and the rest of them, this is how they like to think of Christian's ought to be. So docile... So submissive to their godless agenda, just get out of the way and let them accomplish what they want to accomplish in their dreams. (laughs) In fact, only those who have been broken by sin and restored by God will have the courage to call sin, sin, regardless of who commits it. There is a world of difference between brokenness before God, humility at the hand of the Master, And being a doormat to the godless. Back to David. I wander off, but I always get back to my text. (laughs) 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. Look at it carefully. After David gets supernaturally delivered, God uses these pagan Philistine rulers to get rid of him. And he should have been laughing in his sleeves, thanking God all the way. (laughs) After God rescues him, after God delivers him from this disaster, he comes back to Ziklag with his men, where they left their families. And he finds that the Amalekites have taken the women captive and the children. And they've burned down the city. What does David, who wore the spirit of discouragement last message, you Remember? What was David who said to himself, how would he react when he comes home and he hears all this? He would have taken his top green beret, boys, and he goes down and rescues them. He will do that, but that's not the broken David. I want you to watch here. This is very important. Instead, David is about to be broken before God. Don't despise brokenness. God's champion knows when he hits bottom and he turns to the living God. God's champions recognize their inadequacies and call upon the living God. And in verse 4 of chapter thirty 31 Samuel, David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Have you ever been there? I sure have. And I want to tell you that these were no crocodile tears. These were the tears of repentance. These were the tears of regret. These were the tears of brokenness before God. At the gateway of the famous Parthenon in ancient Athens, as some of you may know this, there stood a dedicated altar to tears. No sacrifice ever Consumed there. No offering was ever made there. It, it is simply a place where the distressed individuals came and they wept out of their woes. I know that venting up these pent-up emotions may have given some psychological relief. And you see it all the time in our world. But it always failed to touch their basic need of repentance and assurance of forgiveness as we have in Christ Jesus. Only in Christ Jesus when you come in repentance and turning to him and in your brokenness that he takes those brokenness and reassembles them together. Not only forgives you, but restores you. David not only wept. Look at verse 6. You see him there so greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all of the people were bitter in soul. Each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You ask, uh, well, how do you know that David's tears were truly tears of repentance? That very last part of verse 6 of chapter 30. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Not like last we saw in the last message by speaking to himself... Not by saying to himself, no, but in the Lord his God. God's purpose in our brokenness is not to crush us. God's purpose in our brokenness is not to sink us into despair. God's purpose is to restore us. He wants to restore us to better use, to better effectiveness, to better service, to better ministry. And David may have been out of the will of God, but listen carefully. He was never out of God's love. David may have been out of God's leadership, but he was never out of God's protection. David may have been out of God's law, but he never out of God's reach. David may have been in his own ziklag, but he was never out of God's sight. And I want to say this principle here. And let it be a lesson to all of us who might be prone to be tempted to compromise and to wheel and deal and go it alone and do it ourselves. That God's eye will always be watching you. That God's hand will always be stretched to you until you come to him in brokenness. But until you come to him in brokenness, you will be in pain. You will be in distress. God doesn't forsake you, you have forsaken him. And there finally in this passage, look at the fruit of David's repentance. Out of the brokenness came repentance and restoration. How do you know that someone really truly repented? Only through the fruit of their repentance. Only when they stop doing what they have been doing and return to doing what they ought to be doing. And in David's case, he stopped deciding for himself and he turned to God. In David's case, he stopped speaking to himself and he started listening to God. He stopped saying in his own heart and he began to pray instead. He stopped being the master and he became the servant once more. Once more. If you look at verse 7 and verse 8, David said to Abithar the priest, Bring me the ephod. David is back on track. And David, verse 8, inquired of the Lord. No wonder later on he said that a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. And later on his own son Solomon testified in Proverbs 28, 13, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes his sin shall have mercy. And later even still, the Apostle John said that if we confess our sins, not rationalize it, not cover it up, but if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins. I'll tell you this story and I'm going to conclude. Charles Spurgeon, one of my great heroes, tells a story of a certain duke who went to abroad a galley ship. And as he passed the crew of prisoners, were all rowing in the boat. He asked several of these men what their offenses were. And almost every man claimed that he was innocent. They laid the blame on somebody else. They accused the judge for yielding to bribery. They accused people accusing them falsely. But there was a young man, a young fellow, who spoke up, and he said, "Sir, I deserve to be here. I stole somebody. No one is at fault but myself. I am guilty. Upon hearing this, the duke seized the young man by his shoulders. And he said, you scoundrel, what are you doing here with all these honest men? Get out of their company at once. He was then set at liberty. While the rest were left to tug at the oars. Why? Because this prisoner's freedom... Was the admission and the confession? If the Spirit of God has been speaking to you, the Spirit of God has been tugging on your heart and pointing some things to you, it is never too late to admit to God your sins. It is never too late to confess of your running ahead of the Lord. It is never too late to repent of self-will and stubbornness it is never too late to acknowledge your impatience with god it is never too late to forsake your controlling spirit it is never too late to yield your desire to his desire it is never too late to yield your will to his will it is never too late it is not too late to yield your mind to his light you heard the words but without the spirit of God my words mean nothing the spirit of God has taken them and interpreted them and used them deep down in your heart and brought you to conviction confess to the Lord tell him take your brokenness to him trust me